Being able to streamline your business, implement strategies to do this is more important than ever before. In this episode, I talk to Super Joe Pardo, business optimization specialist, about how you can streamline your business and harness that entrepreneurial spark to grow your brand. Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly brand building and brand strategy podcast to help you unlock your brand's potential, stand out from the competition, and create impact. So today we're joined by Joe Pardo, a business optimization specialist and founder of the Super Joe Pardo Show in the Independent Podcast Conference. He helps bring a series of strategy, application, and execution planning to every entrepreneur, team, or business that he works with. Great to have you on the Unified Brand Podcast, Joe. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, the Super Joe Pardo Show, and how you got started as a business optimization specialist? Well, thank you so much for having me on, Super Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm talking branding and business is always a pleasure for me. I'm always excited to talk business because that's what I grew up around, right? So as far as my background, grew up in a family business. It was a $100 million company. I left it in 2014 for, didn't really know at the time. <laughs> there was no grand scheme or anything like that at the time. About a month later, I fell into podcasting thanks to DJing. I don't know if they can see the video, but there's turntables behind me. I'd put up my first DJ album and promote that DJ album. It was a Disney music album, actually. We were just talking about Disney prior to this. And, you know, it was Pixar's Up, the movie Up, uh, mashed up with instrumentals from Disney music, like Disney theme songs and stuff, and hip hop instrumentals. So it was all blended together to tell the story of Up. And it did really well. And I did a bunch of podcast interviews. And at the time, it was like, I was on a plane and I was talking to a friend of mine. We were on our, we were on our way to Disney World to go run some uh, run a race down there. And I was like, hey, is there any other Disney podcasts I could jump on? I had been like on like 10, 15 of them at the time. And he was like, oh, there's this show that you should like totally listen to. It was called Entrepreneur on Fire. And I was like, oh, I never heard of that before. And this is in May of 2014. So I was like, okay, I'd never really thought about podcasting in a way, like an interview type of space. I always thought about it as like Disney nerds huddled around talking about, this, you know, Disney yep. stuff. That's what, what I had listened to up to that point from 2005 on. And uh, I was like, I know tons of people in business. Like I could have my own podcast. I was loving this whole being interviewed thing and being on podcast thing. And he was like, uh, why don't you do it? And I was like, all right. You know, by the time the plane landed, I had the name. It was called The Dreamers Podcast. I uh, registered the domain name, the Twitter handle, the Facebook page for my phone before we got to the rental car. And two weeks later, I had my first episode out called The Dreamers Podcast, which eventually went on to become a five-day week show, which I eventually backed down because that was just too much. After about three months or so, we were on the iTunes New and Noteworthy. And I knew, like, I put the plan together. I was like, I want to speak. I want to coach. I want to have the podcast and I want to write books. I was like, if I want to write books, I need to have time to write those books. So I was like, I got to back the show down a little bit from five days a week. And yeah, so it, it turned into this thing that like ultimately became a show about self-discovery of like what I wanted to do with, you know, as this 25 year old, 26 year old that didn't really know what they wanted to do with their life yet. Didn't have a degree. I was, I had gone back to school when I told my dad I didn't want to be there anymore. And that didn't go over very well. <laughs> so it was a really great time for discovery. And what I ultimately found was like, while self-development is something I am passionate about, it was the business end of it that I really love helping people with because I feel like I can help so many more people by creating and saving jobs through the shows that I put together, the books, 
and the speaking and all of that. So eventually the Dreamers Podcast went on to win Business Podcast of the Year Award in 2017 from podcastawards.com, which was like, I was crying. In fact, I was just watching oh. that video again, not that long ago with, with somebody. It, I did a vlog from that day because we did our second child's uh, was a gender reveal party plus that night i found out that i I won the award which was incredible and in the end of 2014 i founded the middle Atlantic podcast conference which eventually in 2019 would be go on to become the independent podcast conference where we just held our sixth annual event in september which was great it was virtual but we've hosted a lot of virtual events this year to you know bring the community together and give opportunity for people to speak and learn and grow so it's been a really incredible journey. I've gotten to speak all over the country. I even spoke at the United Nations back in 2016, I think it was, or 2017. One of those. Wow. I, I always forget which year it was. I think it was 2017 I spoke at the United Nations on the power of podcasting. And it's been a really awesome ride. Like, it's not all been perfect. There's been a lot of stress in the way. And, you know, we've had two kids since back then. And still learning, growing and helping people every pretty much every single day. Wow, that's an amazing journey. And some of the things that sort of accolades on the way, they sound, it must be amazing to sort of reach those pinnacles and be recognized for that work done and kind of the journey you've gone on. It must be really, yeah, just rewarding. It is. It's incredibly rewarding. It's, I don't want to say humbling, because I feel like humbling is a diminishing word in a lot of cases of, you know, what you can do and all that. But if you put in a lot of a lot of work and a lot a lot of effort, it's nice to have that recognition. It doesn't ultimately mean a whole lot. Like it's not like, oh, you got an award. Like you know, here's a hundred grand. Like you know, go work on the next thing that gets the next award that gets here's a hundred grand. Like it means that you're on the right track, right? You're on the right path yeah. of where you want to go and what you want to be. And other people telling you like, hey, you need to you know do more of this. This is working. <laughs> you know, keep doing it. Definitely. So, I mean, from a brand building point of view with regards to podcasting, what is the benefits of podcasting for your brand? And also what are some of the main ways that you can build a brand through podcasting? Yeah. So a lot of times people will start podcasting after they've been blogging or, you know, it's kind of getting all kind of mishmashed as time has gone on here because, you know, stuff is going on to YouTube and stuff, you know, what we're talking about gets transcribed by people and then put into a blog post and all this stuff. So the lines have kind of gotten kind of blurry, especially like you take live streaming, you take YouTubing, you take podcasting and blogging, and it's a content creation ball. So podcasting specifically, though, it's your voice and your message and their ears, right? Because they're listening. Now they can watch it on YouTube and people consume different things differently. Like there's some podcasts I only watch on YouTube and there's some YouTube stuff that I only want, listen to in podcast form. Like the lines have been blurred, like this, like what I was saying, right? So, but podcasting specifically, like I said, when it's just your voice and their ears, there's a level of trust there because you're asking them to listen generally while they're doing something that they don't need to hear during, right? Whether it's shower, driving, lawn mowing, whatever, whenever you're listening to those podcasts. So you're taking up like valuable bandwidth there. But with that bandwidth, you're also able to get a longer attention span than a video, right? Like if I'm watching a video and it's 10 minutes, I'm probably going to watch it at two times speed. So it's only five minutes so I can get in and out and get the information, right? With podcasting, a handful of shows that I do listen to, I listen to them at 1x speed because I don't want to miss anything, especially if it's like something that's supposed to be funny. Comedy doesn't usually work real well at two times speed. So I try to listen at 1x speed and 
that enables so much more like time and trust factor to just come in and evangelize your listeners, like the people that are taking the time to listen because they really want to learn. They really want to hear your voice and they really want to hear what's going on. And podcasting also enables you to tell some long form stories that could be overarching, right? So like, I always say like, if whatever your podcast is, you should be injecting not only your personality, because absolutely, because you could have two shows that are identical in content, but very different based on the personality and the way they're delivered. The stories that you plant in there can be over like an overarching story, like a story arc, right? An example of that is on one of my shows that I do with my co-host Sam and Jen is the Business Geek podcast. And on that show, we just wrapped up a story arc. Jen had ordered a bed and it was like one of those like self-adjusting beds that you could do like a zero gravity thing in. Well, it's yep. been months that she's taken to get this bed. so. So we've been following along the journey and it only adds like 30 seconds, maybe two minutes tops to each of those episodes. But it's just like following that journey, you know, like sprinkling in the story and across a bunch of episodes. So it creates like a, another reason, right? A B story, a C story, a D story to follow along with and really fall in love with the characters or yourself in the show. Even if you're just like super like, this is informational and here for the information, darn it. And uh, like, that's cool. But the more personality and the more story you can infuse into it, the more people are going to sit down and listen to stories. Yeah, that's an amazing tip. I think that's a really interesting way of looking at that kind of narrative, that idea of building out your brand through narrative across different episodes of a podcast. You know, that's, I think that's one of the reasons why things like Friends were so successful because they built those narratives across the whole series yeah. and the whole season. And I think, yeah, that's a really interesting approach to doing that. I hadn't thought of doing it like that, seeding those different narratives across the episodes. That's really like cool. Like mention your cat, right? Or mention your son or your dog. Like a lot of my episodes, you'll see my kids come running through the door behind me over here. And it's just, they'll say hi, you know, or whatever, or try to talk to the people that I'm talking to. And it just creates like this storyline, like there are people are following along the story. People that aren't even, don't even necessarily reach out to me. But I find out like a year later, two years later, they reach out and like, oh man, it's been so great. Like watching your kids grow up and things like that. It's like, you know, they're not necessarily downloading every single episode. They're not necessarily watching every video. Or if they are, they're not commenting on every single video but they're watching, you know, they're paying attention to a certain degree, you know, listening to the episodes and things of that nature. So I'll tell you one thing about podcasting, one downside of podcasting is it doesn't have the instant gratification of YouTube where, or even live streaming where the comments is like, oh, you're watching a show. You're like, you're watching the video right there. Like, bam, comments are right there. Like, let me put in a comment, right? Podcasting is more freeform. It's on your phone. It's on your watch. The call to actions aren't necessarily to be like, hey, leave a comment below about blah, blah, blah. Because like there is no comment below depending on where they're listening. Now, if they're on your website, then they can comment there. But most people probably aren't listening, going to your website to listen to it on a regular basis. So I think it's also important to remember that like most people that are listening to your show, like you have super fans, but you also have people that have just never heard of you before and are just coming across your content. So make sure you give that context, right? Especially if you're doing it in video format too. make sure that you're giving context to what is being shown in video. So a lot of times with the Super Joe Pardo show, I shoot a lot of those episodes on my vlogging rig, which I have right here. 
And the reason I do like what I'll do with it is I will make sure that whatever I'm saying or whatever I'm showing is also depicted so that when I copy the audio out of it, it still makes sense. It's still building a story of some sort, right? So it's just one of those things that you have to give thought to when you have video in front of you and you know not everyone's going to see it as video. Sure. Yeah. I think that's something that I've run into a few times where you kind of, you record something and then on video and then you go to, you transcribe it or you put it into audio form and you don't have the same things you're talking about, which is always a problem. So what was the sort of shift that you made from sort of individual podcasts and the shows you're doing to then the conference? What was the inspiration for the conference? I've been around events planning since I was a kid because my family's business would do like an annual vendor night where we'd have like a thousand plus people come through a whole bunch of vendor booths and then go to like like a free buffet, open bar. And so like, you know, I'd be the kid running around grabbing all the free pens and stuff off the tables and all that. And so I grew up like being around those types of events. And when I got older, I got into, you know, computer games. So we would do LAN parties and I was involved with a organization here in South Jersey, in the States, in case I not that Jersey, but uh, <laughs> actually it wasn't far from the Jersey Shore. And we held an event for 512 people, which was incredible. I hosted a bunch of like raves and parties when I was, in, you know, got into DJing. And then, so once I got into podcasting, it was like, oh, well, I went to this event down in Florida hosted by Jared Easley and Lou Mangello, Lou Mangello of WW Radio, Jared Easley of Podcast Movement. And this was before Podcast Movement had even hosted their first event. I just happened to be in Florida at the time for a podcasting event. One of my favorite Disney podcasts hosted an annual event called Reunion, where we all like get together and we go on the rides together. It was awesome. It's, I have so many friends from those events. But, you know, so I took a day off from that, went to the event. And when I got back, you know, I, and I have so many friends from that event to this day, six years later. So it's so powerful. So I'm sitting in the room and I'm like, when I get back home, I'm sitting there watching Sunday night football or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I could do this. So was, I started doing some searches and I was like, oh, you know, I could host something like a podcasting conference up here in this area. I was going to do it out of the Philly area. But then I was like, well, let's go a little bit bigger. Let's go Mid-Atlantic. And then from Mid-Atlantic, you know, right out of the gate, I already had friends all over the world podcasting. So I was like inviting all of them. And, you know, it was called the Mid-Atlantic. That's where it was hosted out of. But it wasn't actually what it represented. It wasn't representative of that. So after five years of that, I decided to change it over to independent podcast conference. And since then, our growth has been ridiculous. So we were growing year over year with the Middleland Podcast Conference hosting an annual event in September each year. But once now that we've changed it to independent podcast conference, it's been ridiculous. I mean, just in the last year, we've had almost five times growth from where we were last year. Like in our Facebook group is like 425 people. And now we're almost at two, we're getting up to 2000 people. So, uh, yeah, it's been ridiculous, super honored. And, you know, I've been able to create money, many more resources for the independent podcast community through the organization. So we don't just have a conference now. We have the uni university with like, I don't know, 150 plus hours of video content for learning how to podcast better. We do weekly group coaching calls with me. I do a mostly daily show. It's called The Daily it's called the IndiePod Daily Show, but it's mostly daily where I'll come on and into the group and, and talk about different topics, help do one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions, have guest experts come on and things of that nature. And then we, you know, we share out the, the social medias and the newest episodes on Saturdays and Sundays. So it's a lot of fun. And it was my intention after COVID hit 
to basically I, a lot of my business clients were put on pause because they were like, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And so a lot of that stuff was put on pause. So I was like, all right, let's focus on the IndiePod community. And we started running these virtual conferences every other Saturday. Uh, we did nine of them in a row. Wow. And it, yeah, so it was, and it helped grow the community. It really helped strengthen a lot of things in the community, like the people and the networking and all that, bringing a lot more people in. And yeah, they would be like eight hours every other Saturday. So we focused in on different themes every other Saturday. And then I put it on pause in all mid-August because we had our annual event coming up, which originally I was going to host in my backyard. Only sell like 50 tickets and then live stream the rest of it. So I was going to get a tent and porta potties and a stage and like, you know, set it all up. But as it would turn out, that would not be a good idea as cases continued to spike with the virus. And, you know, the tents were getting harder and more expensive to obtain because restaurants needed them. And, you know, porta potties are not necessarily cheap. Nice porta potties are not cheap either. So it was just like this whole big thing. So I was like, you know what, let's just move it. So instead of doing the virtual conference using a software, we use StreamYard into the Facebook group. What we did was we did it on Zoom. So we were able to see each other and we held it with an 80s theme. So everybody got dressed cool. up in their 80s, you know, garb, like uh, great sunglasses yeah. here. So it was fun, right? So I wanted to make, you know, make uh, Zoom great again and fun again. And we did. We had ended up being a two day event and, and people just had an absolute blast. So it was great. Now, upcoming, I think October 24th is our next free virtual conference that will be held in the community which would be fun. We'll get back in, you know, into doing those. Helps grow the community, helps the community learn and provides content to the IndiePod University. So it's very reciprocal in that sense. That's amazing. You're providing the ecosystem and the podcasting world with resources and tutorials and ways that they can grow their support and their podcast. And at the same time, obviously that's helping to sort of build your brand and further that with regards to your own kind of shows and things like that. So moving that forward. It sounds a really good way to kind of give stuff back, which must be, again, rewarding, but also growing that circle of that network. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, it enables, like I said, it enables me to, to be able to justify the time that it takes to set those conferences up to get all the people together. But just bringing the people together and having a great time, like some people uh, referred to it as their mastermind because we were doing it every two weeks. And yep. like I said, there were eight hours plus each. In fact, the first one we did was two days at nine hours each, which created its own unique issues with Facebook Live. It's things like that that just, it's awesome to get to be a part of. It's awesome to be able to get to offer that free, you know, the only caveats join our Facebook community, get involved, and then be able to have that content that while we, during this whole COVID thing, those conferences are available inside the community, like if you dig deep enough for them, but going, you know, at some point they will be locked out to just the university. And of course, the speakers, they get to keep their talks. They own the rights to their talks so they can distribute it as much as they please, uh, cut it up, whatever they want to do with it. It's, it's all good on my part. So I try to structure it so it's like, you know, it's a win-win-win. So the community's getting a free event. The speaker's getting to get to speak, which is great because, you know, polishing your skills and all that, especially because a lot of our speakers are not professional speakers. Uh, they're like wannabes, they're hopefuls, they're soon-to-bes, that kind of thing. You know, however you want to refer to it. That's to me is just great. So they get the opportunity 
we get content for the university, we get content for the community, and we get to bring people together, they get to learn. And I'll tell you, there's people that were like, oh, I've been a part of so many summits and they're all recorded. And, you know, I didn't think this was going to be that fun. But then watching it live, we also raised money for charity throughout the events. We've raised a couple thousand dollars for different charities, you know, mostly youth related charities. But it just creates this really winning opportunity. And then again, like the university gets to be able to archive that stuff forever and always. So like I said, it's, it's just a great winning opportunity for everybody. Yeah, it sounds really good. With the 80s theme, what were some of the best um, costumes you saw? There was a couple of people that, you know, uh, wore, at least one wore a sequence jacket. But I mean, the person that took the cake, cake was Emily Peck Prokop. She had one of our podcast conference t-shirts that says Podfessional. And at the time she had weighed a lot more. So she took the shirt and she ripped it so that she could like, I don't know how to describe it, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. She wore it like, like a person in the 80s who wear a really big t-shirt. So she was able to like cut it open and stuff like that. And because she's like, I don't wear this shirt really anymore because it's just way too big for me because she's lost a ton of weight, which is awesome. And I'm so proud of her and happy for her. But, you know, so it's like she took that and then she had like the whole makeup thing and the hair thing. And she had a picture of herself from the 80s where she's like in like one of those doily dresses, like a black oh, yeah, dress with yeah, like yeah, the doilies yeah. on. Yeah. She's just like, that's how my mom wanted me to, try, you know, <laughs> had me dress up as a kid. And this is how I wanted to be dressed up as a kid. So, you know, it was kind of one of those magical moments. There was some great, great costumes and uh, things like that throughout the weekend. And it was awesome. And big shout out to Amy J and Carrie Eric. So on Saturday, I had a huge earache infection going on. So I it felt like somebody was like sticking a fork in my ear. And they took over the hosting duties on Saturday. So I pretty much sat on the couch, like laid on the couch and watched from, you know, my laptop as they ran the whole show. So honored that both of them did that. I mean, he's been a part of our community since the second event and it's been a huge help, you know, as a volunteer and as an advisor to the organization. So for her to take over and then for Carrie to be like, is there anything I could do? I know you're in pain. And like, yes, can you host this 10 hour event for me? <laughs> so, you know, they, they really did a great, I mean, it, they did such a great job. I had people reaching out to me, Chris, about how awesome of a job that they were doing. So, and asking how I was feeling. So I was able to get, jump back in on Sunday and, and power through because I just had like pressure in my ear, not like a fork in my ear anymore, which is good. That must be good to have those people that kind of, yeah, can just jump in and take over when you need and kind of and provide that support. It's weird because yeah. you're like, you know, so when I'm at these conferences, right, like generally I'm running the tech, I'm running the sound, I'm vlogging a while I'm up on stage hosting the event and introducing the next speaker. And it's just so surreal to like not be the person <laughs> you know, in front of everybody. And it really stunk because I didn't sleep much the night before. So I was exhausted and in pain and, and all these things. So it's just bad timing. But everything happens for a reason, Chris. And they stepped up. And on top of that, it's even better that we didn't host it in my backyard because had I been in that much pain and had to set the whole thing up and, you know, people that paid for a live streaming ticket happy, as well as the people in front of me that paid for a ticket to be here at the house, like, it would have been really hard. Well, it was only supposed to be one day. That was only going to be one day. So I, I felt like if we had only done it a one day event virtually, I would have powered through the pain to do it. But I knew I had a second day. And I was like, if I use up all this energy now, I'm not going to be able to get through the second day, like limping through the second day. So I was like, you know, they were willing to take over. I popped in a couple of times and it worked really well. That's great. Well, 
It sounds like a really uh, interesting event, really cool event to have uh, been part of and actually in, yeah, set up. And I think it's amazing how you, you seem to get those things all together, sort of setting up that event in itself is a massive thing, but then being able to host it, being able to vlog it, being able to do all the things together as part of that event. I think that sounds amazing how you managed to do all those things in, in one go. Part of where the whole Super Joe Pardo thing comes from, right? And, you know, the will to and drive to do it and just make it happen. And so I felt terrible. Like I felt horrible, like having to sit out a day of my own event, right? But again, it, the honor of having two great people step up and just do it and then be, tell me afterwards, like, I understand why you make people super now, like, because I never thought I could do, you know, a 10 hour event like that. <laughs> we didn't have as many people at, at that event as we would one of our live streaming events as far as like views and people interacting and stuff. So we had like 50 people or something like to that effect, right? And I think the important thing to remember there is like, when we're live streaming into a Facebook group, it's like, what people wound up doing, and, and I found this out after like the first or second one was like, they would take their phone and they would just like walk around their house all day with their phone, like playing the event, right? They're listening to the event as they're raking leaves or doing dishes or this or that or whatever. But when you're like, hey, we're going to do this event and we're going to do it on Zoom and everybody have their camera on and we want everybody to get dressed up and have a good time with this. Not everyone's going to be able to do that for two days. I know it's a lot to ask. So like we didn't have the, you know, thousands of views that we were getting prior, but we didn't sell as many tickets and not as many, you know, it just wasn't as many, a big pool of people. So I think the important thing there is, is that, you know, manage your expectations and figure out like, okay, what is acceptable? And, you know, also keep in mind, like we will run into this every year because of when our event is, it's in September, right? So the problem we run into is it's back to school. So with back to school comes like, well, you know, can I make the flight? Can I drive? Can I get there? Be there for two or three days? It's hard because it's right up against when school starts. So and I know that. But part of that is I always try to create a a cost conscious event and with a ton of bang for the buck, right? Feeding people lunch, getting people T-shirts and all kinds of other things to go with it and being able to provide the time where hotel rates are not very expensive is helpful, right? Because it's not wedding season quite yet. So it's just one of those things that's like trying to find the balance there and provide that level of value. Because we have we have a lot of entrepreneurs, we're probably about 50, 60% entrepreneurs. And then the rest of that is a small portion of the small businesses. The rest are creatives and creatives do not generally have a ton of money to invest like that in like, hey, this is like a $3,000 event. Like, come on, like, ding, like, you know, we're, we're all, you know, getting the monies. But so it's like always trying to find that strike that right balance and bring the right amount of people in to be able to float both the entrepreneurs, the creatives, the small businesses together, because creatives are my people, entrepreneurs are my people, small business people are my people and trying to find like bring enough people in so that it's sustainable. Because that was the goal about three, four months ago, I don't know, March, April, so like in May, I was like, you know, I'm, I think it was May or June, I made the declaration. I was like, I'm going to make IndiePod its own business. It's not just going to be a brand of my consulting business. It's going to become its own business. So part of that was like introducing the IndiePod University, introducing one-on-one coaching for podcasting, you know, doing more with the sponsorships, like just doing more in general, more podcasts, more getting involved with the community. Because we used to prior to changing the name to IndiePod, it would be like a ride up to the event, like July, August, 
into September, we would have more interactions in the community and all, and then that would slowly drop after that. So it was kind of like a, you know, a roller coaster leading up to the event and then coming off that. And I, to me, it was like, oh, we're growing pretty rapidly, like three, four, five people a day without any kind of marketing going out, like no call, you know, spend on ads or anything like that. So it was like, okay, let's see if we can like really push this and see where we can go with it. And it's been awesome see the growth and the people that are growing in. Remember this with podcasting is like, you don't always see every single person showing up every single day in the comments or whatever, right? But people are watching, like they're watching, they're learning, they're reaching out eventually to say, hey, I thank you so much for doing all those things. Like, this is so awesome. It's like, sometimes like we get lost because we're doing the thing and, you know, we do a live stream and there's nobody that shows up to it or anything like that. And it's like, you're not lost. There are people that are watching. They are paying attention. They just aren't reaching out every single day. Because again, podcasting, even with the live streaming, isn't always, people just aren't always going to like jump in the comments and go, right? You got to have really big audience, really big pools of people that a handful of them are going to look at it like that. So there was a video I was watching the other day from Linus Tech Tips on YouTube, and he's got like 11 or 12 million subscribers now. And he did a video explaining about where all their money comes from because he has a whole production piece. He's got a lot of people he's paying at his studios. And uh, he pointed out, I think it was something the effect of like, of the 11 million subscribers, like only 100,000 people buy the merch that they sell, watch the, you know, every single episode, like completely from beginning to end and all of that stuff and click the links, like the affiliate links and stuff. So it's like, you know, it's crazy to get a hundred thousand people. You got to have like almost 12 million people that hit that subscribe button, not including all the people that are just finding the videos and hitting watching it and then closing the video out because they got the answer they were looking for. So, you know, it really puts things in the perspective when you're trying to get started and trying to build those super fans. But podcasting is that way to do it, right? It's, there's really few other ways to do it great. YouTube is as well, but it just depends on the audience that you're trying to go after and the content that you're trying to deliver. If it's more video focused versus talking and long form, you know, long form videos can work on YouTube as well. It's just, there's a smaller audience for it there than there is with podcasting and people being willing to listen to like an hour long podcast or two hour long podcast. Have you seen in the last few months talking on that with regards to podcasting, are you seeing a spike in terms of the amount of downloads, amount of listens you're getting because more and more people are maybe remote working and listening and working from home at the same time? And do you see that there's a maybe a shift from more sort of business owners and entrepreneurs listening to podcasts as opposed to watching YouTube videos? I've experienced mostly more people. It's weird. Like right now, I would say that I'm off the high. Like, so I was hitting more of a crescendo back in like April, May, June, and it's kind of come off that high a bit from a view standpoint and from a listen standpoint. If I had to accredit something to it, it's that it would probably be that more people are out and about doing things through the summer. COVID was still happening, but like the boardwalks open, like most things are kind of open to some extent. So it's like, there's less things going on, I guess less opportunity for people to listen. So it's not that they took a nosedive, but they just, it definitely was not what it was at that point. I can actually pull it up right now as we're talking here. If I look at like the Super Joe Pardo show, yeah, July was that crescendo. So it was like, it went up in March, up in April, 
about the same in May, about the same in June. July was like three times the amount of the other months and then came back down in August to about what it was in uh, June and September. So we're still up. It's just not as much. Actually, if, if I pull out the two years, it actually, it looks, the pattern kind of looks similar <laughs> in that. Maybe there's something to that where it just kind of... Seasonal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's still going up. It's just not as dramatic ups. It's not as dramatic ups and downs. So you mentioned um, entrepreneurs, creatives, and business owners. And I was going to sort of segue on to the fact that with the business coaching side of things, how did you get started on business coaching? How did you get into that? And what some of the tips and things that you you sort of do with regards to business coaching? What are the things you help businesses do? How I got into it was shortly after I left, got hooked up with somebody who uh, was starting their own small business. I've been building websites since like 96, 97. So they were looking for a website and they were looking for like a lot of things all at once. So I was just getting started with the whole like small business coaching and stuff like that. And they didn't have money to pay me with. So they paid me in the product they made, which is great, but it was a laundry detergent. It was all natural laundry detergent. So it's like, cool. But it came to a point where like we started giving it away to friends and family because we're like, we can't keep housing all of this here. Like, I can't eat this and I'm not making money with it. Like, I'm not going to go and sell it. So eventually that had to end. But it was a couple of months. Like, I was going to her house because she lived not that far from here. Going to her house, working with her on her business, working with her on her website, e-commerce, and, you know, trying to make decisions on, like, what was going on. At the time, she was trying to get on Shark Tank here in America. So it was like, there was all these things going on. And then it kind of, like I said, it kind of all just fell apart. And I really had to focus on paying clients at that point after a couple of months. Cause I'm like, this is cool. Like, and if, you know, we get to Shark Tank, that's awesome. But I can't bank on that. I can only afford to keep paying my bills in the meantime and taking that time just wasn't going to make it for me. So, you know, making the decision to want to help business owners. I mean, like I said, I grew up in a family business where I had my fingers in everything because I was in line to take it over. What was really like started out as, you know, sweeping floors and checking in inventory and counting inventory and stuff like that eventually turned into being the IT director for the company and then ultimately operations director, building out the systems and processes, utilizing technology, you know, integrating technology into those processes, whether it was adopting scanners back in like 2004, 2005, 2006, for our products to like, you know, implementing different avenues of our computer system into our process and ultimately, you know, reducing our inventory. So we hit a 2012, we had Hurricane Sandy come through here and it devastated one of our biggest stores up in North Jersey outside of New York City. It was under like five, six feet of water and we lost a ton of inventory, ton of damage in the building. And, you know, it was at a time where we really needed to uh, start like, focusing on reducing some of our inventory anyway. So I went ahead and and started building out this algorithm that was, it was already in the computer system, but it was kind of half-baked. It didn't really work well. And it was like super slow to use. Like you'd run the process and it would take forever. But it was all about managing the inventory values. So like, you know, the minimum you should be stocking is something and the maximum is something you should be stocking and figuring out like, okay, based on these values of sales from the last, you know, 10 months or six months or 24 months, 
Like how many should they actually have on the shelf? And I took that and it started to implement it in the company. And we went from like around $6 million in inventory down to about two and a half to $3 million in inventory because it fluctuates. You know, at the beginning of the month, we buy more and inventory go up and then come back down. But in about a year, year and a half, we were able to take that inventory from about $6 million down to, like I said, between two and a half to $3 million. And I was tracking it every single day. Like I had a spreadsheet and I'm like updating it like in the morning and the night. And I remember like uh, the guy I shared an office with, he's like, well, what do you, you know, he was also the, um, where, like the warehouse. Well, he was the previous warehouse manager, now purchaser of parts. And he's like, why are you doing it constantly? It's like, cause I, I just want to see what the, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Right. So it's like, yeah. if I just track it at the same time every day for once a day, then it's like, okay, well, is it cause the inventory is ballooning at the morning? Cause we're injecting the inventory that we just moved from our main warehouse to those locations. Like, you know, receiving it in and stuff like I want to see everything. So it was like three times a day I was writing down the inventory values in the spreadsheet so I could track like, okay, it goes up in the morning, then comes down by the evening. And where, you know, where's the median? So to me, just more plot points to figure out. And then I can always, you know, adjust those plot points if I need to. But yeah, so and it worked like it really, there was a lot of pushback. There was a lot of people that were not happy. There was a lot of people that that really hated the idea that they weren't in charge of what their stocking levels were. Even though, you know, after some pushback and some reconsiderations, stuff, I was like, okay, well, keep what you want, right? Like, you know, you have 10 on the shelf. It shows that you haven't sold it in two years. Send me eight of them. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't need all 10. Just send me, eight. I know your, your min max is zero, zero. Keep the two and then send me eight. And then I'll take that eight, ship it to another store that actually uses it. And we'll at least we'll get our money out of it. In the meantime, you have two on the shelf. Like, what's the big deal? Like, all of a sudden, you haven't sold in two years. And all of a sudden, there's going to be a rush on I need 10 of them a day. Yeah. And ultimately, what ended up happening was after I left, a year after I, almost the day that I left, my dad ended up selling the truck parts company to a, a giant, like, multi billion dollar roll up. And what they found out was like they didn't have that freedom of being like oh i just want to keep some of this stuff i don't need to send it all back so it's just like they learned that this is how other people are doing it and that's like i'm saying like you think walmart did it because like got there like by like taking a pen and a ledger and like this is how many we should stop like no they have algorithms figuring this stuff out figuring out whether or not they need to send pop tarts because there's gonna be a, a hurricane coming through Florida. Like we should send more Pop-Tarts there because people need food that they can just open up and eat because they might not have electricity or part of their house might be underwater. Like these are the types of things that's like, you have human interaction with the system, but at least you have the system, right? You can bend the rules, you can break the rules, but there's gotta be rules, yeah. right? So yes, we had an algorithm. I would run that algorithm at one point, I was trying to do it every single day, which the computer system was just way too slow. I mean, we had tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of part numbers. And when you factor in across 10 locations, it was a massive thing to have to run. So like, I got to the point where it was like, I was running it like every other day, sometimes every third day. And then people would catch me on and they'd be like, I sold this part and I didn't get a min-max on this part number. And it's like, okay, like it's not as simple as snapping my fingers. like. Yeah. If that was the case, I'll, I'll hire somebody to snap their fingers all, <laughs> all day. <laughs> so yeah, so was, that's really what it came out of. And like I said, just wanting to help people. And, you know, I've been around business forever. And the whole helping people goes back to when I was a kid, I was like six years old. And I was, I cried on my grandparents' floor. My grandfather started the company and, you know, they were like, why are you crying? I'm like, well, because I'm the only boy. And I had my sister, but that was potentially it. 
as far as uh, you know any siblings or anything goes. So they were like, what's the matter? I was like, I don't want to take over the family business. And they were like, oh, you know, you can do anything you want to do as long as you do it to the best of your ability, which for me was at the time, I was like, well, I really wanted to be a child psychologist at the age of six because I wanted to help other kids going through divorce like I was. And little did I know later down the road, I'd get to speak at schools and things of that nature to help, you know, help kids figure out what they wanted to be when they grew up and write two books or well, one book specifically around how to dream big and win and so yes, you know, and what I've found is over the years with the Dreamers podcast now, it's called the Super Joe Pardo Show, is that the most of the people that I would interview all were doing something in the vein of what they wanted to do is from when they were a kid. It might not be exactly what they wanted, but it's all in the vein of it. And in my case, uh, while I didn't end up becoming a child psychologist because I didn't want to go to school for 10 years, you know, ultimately I've helped tons of kids, uh, tons of adults as well with their businesses. So it's been awesome to get to realize that dream. Yeah, definitely. No, it sounds amazing. It sounds like, yeah, it sounds like you're still helping those people with their childhood dreams. Because like you said on the Dreamer podcast or the Super Joe Pardo show, it's kind of, you're helping those people to reach the dreams that they've been thinking about for a long time. And I think I had a similar experience. So when I was younger, I used to play a lot of sport and I used to do a lot of design and like drawing and always doing, if I wasn't outside playing football or soccer or doing you know, athletics or basketball, I was drawing or designing things. So kind of what I find myself now is kind of uh, in branding and brand strategy, it kind of specializing a lot in the sport and fitness industry as well. Yeah, those kind of things have come together in a kind of a strange way. Yeah, it's kind of serendipitous in a way that it's kind of all flowed together into one point. That's, I love it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. It does usually does come together for people who haven't lost their way as far as what they you know, are dreaming about and what they want out of life and why they want that thing in the first place. So that's awesome that you've been able to marry it together and, and find a way to get involved. I love it. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I did lose my way for a bit. I kind of, um, I lost my dad when I was 16, kind of. Oh, uh, through, sorry to hear that. Oh no, it's uh, through uh, motor neurons disease. Um, he was ill for a while. And then it was kind of the design and the sports that brought me back from a, a bit of a blip. I kind of went off the rails a bit and it was finding my passion back in those that kind of brought me back onto a path and brought me back into it. But I was going to ask you actually about the... <laughs> cool, yeah. So um, you were talking about business coaching. We were talking about entrepreneurs and the creative side of things. And you mentioned uh, building out this algorithm or this system for your family business and how it sort of helped you to manage the stock in, in different places. So what are some of the things that you see businesses do that they shouldn't be doing or some things they could be doing better when you speak to them? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's, it's a people problem. You know, so I focus on three areas, the T, the O and the P. No, the team, the offer and the process. And a lot of times it's partly the process. It's partly the offer. That's the problem. And it's the team, right? It's how you interact with the team. It's how you've set your process up for the team to work with the company, right? Because it's not just about how the customers interact with the company and the offer that you're offering, but it's also how the team interacts with the offer and with the process. I'll tell you, like one of the greatest examples I can give of a great process it was uh, that store like Alex and Annie or whatever. I don't know. It's one of those jewel companies, like charm bracelet things. Anyway, I go in there and I'm like, I need one of these. And they're like, okay, who are you getting it for? I was like, my wife, what are you trying to say? I was like, well, I, I think it was for Mother's Day or something. She's like, okay, hold on one second. She comes back like a minute later with like three options. She's like, pick one of these options. I'm like, oh, right there. Okay, great. And it like, can I get like a matching thing, like a necklace or something? They're like, oh, we don't have that, but we have this that you can get like the other bracelet that goes with it or something. 
you know, I was in there for maybe four minutes and they just made a $60 sale because they made it so easy and walk in, walk out with the box. And I think they even wrapped it for me. So it's like one last thing. It's like, yes, is that a lot of money for like something that's the size of this, you know, that's tiny? Yes. Did they make it easy? Absolutely. So it's one of those things where it's like, how do you get your business down to something simple like that, right? Where it's like, you're making the process as easy as possible, whether it's coaching your team, you know, training for your team, making the offer simplified, making your own surveys so you can survey your people. One of my favorite restaurants here in South Jersey, you literally get the survey card as soon as you sit down at the restaurant and they give you like the pencil or pen like by the end of it. You know, they expect you to fill out the survey card and they want to know like what's working, what's not working and all of that. And it's like how few places do that. It's so simple and yet it's so powerful because it allows you to see, like get inside look into what's happening, right? And we talked about Disney when we were talking prior to recording, right? It was like Disney, you know, even after they opened up their Star Wars land, was like still asking like, hey, do you like Star Wars? <laughs> it's like, well, you think they would have asked that question before they dropped like $2 billion, right? You would think, but hey, they're still asking. Just funny, it's like, the one person answered the question, no. And then the follow-up question was, so how much did you spend on Star Wars last year? <laughs> so even though you didn't like it, how much did you actually wind up spending on it? And it's like, oh, well, you know, we went to see the movies and we did, you know, we did this or we bought this, this thing. It's like, oh, well, maybe we did spend like, you know, $500 on Star Wars. Like, I, mean, I don't even like it. And it's, you know, it's a thing that I spent money on. So that's like super next level surveying and having a huge customer base to be able to send those levels like 100 plus question surveys to those customers. But just even just getting it down to like three, four, five questions and like really understanding. And then you can always ask, you know, new surveys that have like three or four or five questions that go even deeper into those those answers. So you seem to be getting so you can really dial in and hone in what's going wrong with your business. But a lot of times, yeah, it's the people, you know, it's our own blocks that we get our way, whether it's like, hey, you know, we tried to hire somebody for said such and such position because we thought we had this thing. Then we hired two people and, you know, they just didn't work out and it just didn't work out. So we just kind of went back to doing everything, <laughs> you know, as a lot of business owners end up doing everything. And yeah. That's, it's really in a lot of businesses, that's what's holding you back, right? Because one of the other things I, I work with on some of the businesses that hire me is working towards their retirement, right? Their sale process, because they are like, hey, I'm, you know, I want to be able to exit this at some point. But the problem is I'm doing like 70% of the work here. Like, okay, great. Like we got to put a process in place, for, you know, get those processes, put them in place for other people to do it so that when you sell it, you're doing maybe 20% of the work. 10% of the work. And that way, when someone buys it, you don't have to stay there. <laughs> because if you have to stay there, you left a ton of money on the table, right? Yeah. Because you've made it so that somebody, you know, the value of the company is not as much because you don't have the systems in place for somebody else to do the work. So it sucks. And a lot of business owners get stuck in that, right? They end up doing all the things and it's like, they're like, well, can I get a payday? Can I sell this thing? Well, yeah, you might be able to sell it for your customer list to another like garage door installer, like, hooray, like that's gonna be worth something, but I'll tell you something else, it'd be worth a lot more if you already had the systems and processes in place for other people to do it. Now you don't need to sell to another garage door mechanic, you know, uh, repair shop. You could sell to somebody else who has a, you know, 
maybe the construction company or something like that, or a contracting company where they're like, oh, we build garages, but you are the garage door guy. Now we can buy your company and bring those people in with that customer base. All of a sudden you're making a ton more money on that sale and you don't have to necessarily stay because otherwise you might have to stay in order for that business to continue to operate. So you're going to get a payday, but you ain't getting that big payday that's like, hey, I'm going to Cancun, like, see you later. I'll see you on the beach. It's just not going to happen unless your customer base is so huge. But at that point, you're limited by time, right? You can only work on so many things at once as one person. So it's a lot of times, like I said, a lot of times it's the people. It's working with the people, getting inside their mind, getting the mindset changed so that we can open up to these other opportunities, other possibilities of like, let's get somebody else. Maybe it's a virtual assistant, right? Maybe it's somebody who lives in the Philippines. Maybe it's somebody who lives in another country, another part of the country. It doesn't always have to be, you know, somebody coming in and working right on top of you in your small office or your, you know, whatever. So it's those are the things that I see a lot of. Business owners, they're stuck in their own way or that think that what's going to get them to the next level is what got them there in the first place, which at the root of it, like being driven is, but there's so many things that get clouded in your way on the way to the next level that sometimes, like I said, like, oh, we tried to hire somebody, but then it, it just didn't work out. So we just gave up like, okay, we you had two swings and misses. Like, where's the third one? You know, baseball is a thing and that takes three strikes to get somebody out. <laughs> how much at cricket? How, how do you get out in cricket? Is it three strikes or? So it's a couple of different ways. So you can get the, um, you knock the stumps off. It can just be one bowl three knocks the stumps off. Or you can hit your leg before the wicket is the other thing. So if your leg's in the way of the wicket and it hits your leg, that's another way of getting out. Or you can get caught out as well. So, um, Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a few different ways. That seems ways. way more complicated than baseball. <laughs> it is. It's ridiculously complicated. There's far too many rules. <laughs> um, they're trying to change it with the, to the T20 stuff, the 2020 cricket. That's a shorter uh, game and it's a bit more fast-paced and stuff like that. So that's kind of a bit more... You need to do that with baseball. Baseball's getting way too long. Four or five minutes between every time the ball gets put into play. It's crazy. I've actually, I've never, I've, I've seen bits of baseball. I've never watched the full sort of game. It's something I've, I've always wanted to do. So when I, hopefully in the future, when I go to America, it's one of the things I want to do that and taking a basketball game would be amazing because um, I used to be a massive Bulls fan, Chicago Bulls in the early 90s. So last dance kind of <laughs> era type I thing. Haven't wa- I haven't watched that yet. I, I, uh, good. I'd like good. to. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard it's really good. You come in here, you come to Philly. We'll go out and see a Phillies game and uh, we can go see it. Sixers might actually get good. Now we got Doc Rivers as our coach. So. We'll see what happens there. Cool. Yeah, that sounds good. That'd be amazing. Yeah. So yeah. when you were saying about like um, difference with uh, kind of the people in the business, you're talking about, it got me thinking there's a couple of books that I've obviously read and stuff that the Built to Sell and the E-Myth, those two kind of books that mm-hmm. are to do with that exiting idea and putting the processes in place. And one of the things I always thought about with Built to Sell especially was I always find it hard to get certain processes or certain ideas out of the out of the bit the heads if you know what i mean the kind of to get those into processes some of the more sort of the creative aspects and how is that what are some of the ways that you can do that to sort of draw out into a more sort of processed approach so one of the ways to do that is to first off build the process like uh, we were talking earlier about how i use trello build like build a process in there so there's a structure in which you work within so if you're bringing people in then you can put that you know you literally can install them into that process you know, it also depends on how much money you have to do it and how many people, because like that's one of the things like people get stuck on the idea that like we have five people. So then all of a sudden five people end up doing five jobs each and then it turns into seven jobs each and 10 jobs each. And it's just, it starts to become like a boulder, right? And the weight of that business starts to crush those people. And it's just, 
you know, so you're like, oh, well, I can't hire more people. Like, okay, well then maybe a virtual assistant can work with you, right? But you gotta be willing to do it. And that's what I always remind some of my friends that are like, oh, I applied for all these jobs and like, I didn't hear about it. And like, look, no company wants to hire people. <laughs> like, it's not something people wake up and like, I can't wait to go through the hiring process. I can't wait to like run through a whole bunch of resumes and do all this, like jump through all these hoops to bring somebody on, you know, figure out and bring somebody on. Like on top of all the other things I have going on, right? So like maybe if they have a, a human resources person, like they could do some of that process, but it's still like a roadblock in a lot of cases, which a lot of times it really comes down to like, get your calendar straight, right? Figure out like, get people on your calendar and start to like really shape how people interact with you and the company and all that. But yeah, starting with a process of like, okay, this is these are the stages that we're going to utilize so you start to build like the path of like, okay, this is how I want people to walk. So when you bring on a new artist or you bring on a new designer or whatever, creative person, and if you don't know what that process is, like, because you're like, I just do it. Well, then find the person you want to work with and then sit down and be like, okay, before we start building anything, let's build the process. What's your creative process look like? What's my creative, you know, how I go through things and work through it, right? Or you bring on a coach like me and we'll work through the steps that you go through and we'll build out the process for you to like, okay, this is step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, till we get to the final product. And you can literally, I mean, with tools like Trello, like you can literally like move things from part to part to part, depending on where you're at in the process. So it's things like that, that just really help create the structure for the process to live in. And uh, once you have that, like, you know, you're like, oh man, we have so many we can see where we're getting stuck, right? So it's like, okay, maybe we need to bring somebody else in. Maybe they start as a virtual assistant. Maybe, they, you know, a contract worker come in and start like banging out this one process that just seems like it gets really stuck. And the reason it might be getting really stuck there is because maybe you're not really great at that piece. Maybe the person you've already hired or the two people you've hired, they're already working really hard to get it to that part that it's stuck at. So it's like, okay, you know, when you have the data, you can make educated decisions when you're just flying by the seat of your pants and you're like, I know everything and I know what's going on. Like, you're not, right? Like, I don't purport to know everything, Chris. Like, that's not what I do, right? What I do is let's put things into data and then we can look at the data and say, oh, okay, like, this is where we're getting stuck. This is where we need to move the needle the most. And sometimes like, was it done as perfect as the enemy that great or to done? We need to get things done, right? So it's like, is it going to be perfect every time? No. And just like us, you know, big companies like Disney have iterations of rides and show, especially shows that get done and done and done over and over again until they finally get to the final stage of how people interact with it. And it's like, wow, this is awesome. Like, this is the product we expected. Right. And sometimes that can take like literally years, years and years and years to find out the perfect version of a show. Like in Disney World, the Magic Kingdom, they were doing projections back in, I don't know, 2010, 2011. It would take like almost a decade for them to figure out like people don't want to see other people's vacation photos on the castle. They want to see a show, right? And then to actually build the show around that and then eventually change the whole nighttime show there to a whole new nighttime show that, that better incorporated these castle projections. Like that is, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, it makes sense. And it's like, oh, this was so simple. Like, how did they not get that? Well, there was a lot of things in the way. They had to go through a lot of processes, a lot of failed revisions, and just testing the technology and make sure the technology works night after night after night, 365 nights a year, right? It's always easy to like, 
how did we come up with this crazy, you know, idea? Like, well, let's go back and look at the process that we went through to do that, right? We had to put a process there because otherwise it's going to be lightning in a bottle for you until you get that process and then it's not lightning in a bottle, right? It's not, the cheeseburger at McDonald's is not lightning in a bottle. It happens the same way every single time. Yeah, It's not great, but it gets done and it serves the purpose, right? So it's like, that's where you need to figure out you know, what your zone of genius is and plug it into there, plug in the process, you know, build the structure for the processes. And that's, that's absolutely what I love to do. So like, aside from working with the people and like getting them unstuck to like move forward, it's putting the data together and taking a look at it, analyzing it and seeing where can we move the needle. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds amazing with the way that you sort of build out these processes. And I think like you were saying there with one of the things that I find getting stuck on is as we expand, as we grow, you get those little sticking points where the business needs, you start to realize where things aren't as efficient or as effective as they could be. And you start to look outside help potentially, like you said, or a virtual assistant or different people to help with certain aspects. And when you start to offload some of that stuff, initially you have those teething problems, those things that don't quite work out or don't quite make sense. But then over time, as you work through them, it becomes a bit more streamlined and a bit more fluid and you get that movement that you're looking for. And I think that's one of the things that is always really frightening for a business owner is, is that point where you're sort of relinquishing control, but you're not really, you're just kind of, you're stepping up out of that level into another level where you are still in control, but you put these processes in place like you're talking about to help keep everything running. I think that's, yeah, really important. You gotta have the power to give power up, right? Like if you don't have that power, then you'll get to a certain point and be like, oh, you know, I made a million dollar business. Like, hooray, like, that's awesome. But like, and not to use like the whole 10X thing, but like, why not a $4 million business? Like, and really, if you're not growing, then you're shrinking because inflation is going up every year. I mean, well, maybe not for the next couple of years because because <laughs> the Federal Reserve is kind of put the kibosh on that, but it's going to go up. And as it goes up, like if you're not making more money, like your expenses all still go up. So whether it's insurances, you know, rent or taxes, like something is going to go up. And if you're not growing it, then that's a problem. I think the other thing to keep in mind is, is who you're adding to, uh, you know, your team, thinking yep. about the personalities of the people, you know, how you work with them, how you could work with them, and also what their position is in the company, as far as like, being maybe a little too anxious to add people who are not adding to the bottom line. And it's like, oh, well, they're administrative. Like, great. But if you're not in a position to do that, like administrative work might be something that's stuck on your plate at, you know, from eight o'clock at night until two in the morning, because that's when the kids go to bed is eight o'clock at night. Right. And that's when those things got to get done. But you're not making enough money to justify a salary of somebody or even a part time salary of somebody that could handle all that stuff in, in a full time manner. Maybe if you're running from eight to two, you should every day you should probably look to get somebody Cause at that point. You probably are making enough money. But you know what I mean? If you're running like one to two hours a night, it might not be worth getting somebody just yet. But once you start looking at like three hours or four hours, like I said, I'm always a big proponent of in implementing technology. So like are you doing it efficiently enough? Have you taken the half hour to like do some Google searches and say like, is there a better way to do this? Am I doing it in the most efficient ways? If I could just automate, like I always look at things like, can I automate this, 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 and this? If I can find automations for at least two of those four things, then we're doing better because now I can either do more of it or it's one less thing I have to put on somebody else's plate, whether it's my plate or, or somebody else's. So always be looking to optimize, always be asking questions of like, how is this? Why is this? And what can I be doing better to make it better? That to me is like, it's always about optimizing, right? 
finding not just inefficiencies, but like, where can I implement technology? Where can I take away something from off of somebody's plate? And another thing I do is we'll do like the whole write down everything that you do, you know, so for all the people that you have, like when I'll come into like a more well-established company, and it's not about trying to find somebody to be like, hey, you're not doing any work or, or anything like that. It's not about finding it. It's like, what it really is about doing is just finding where like, can we take some of this off of this person and put it on this, you know, is there another job here? We just don't know it yet. Or you find out like, well, we have our controller who's making, you know, six figure salary is making the run to like Sam's club to buy supplies for the office. And it's like, yeah, it might not be the best uh, way of doing it, you know, on a week or every other week kind of basis. That's a lot of money that you're pushing out to have that done. So it's like things like that. It's like, okay, well, maybe instead of doing that, find something else. Heck, you know, I'd be more open for that controller to like go take a walk around the, you know, outside or something than to, to go to the store because like at least a walk with, you know, 10, 20 minutes or whatever. Versus like the store might take an hour and a half or two hours. Like how much are you paying to do that? Yeah, exactly. And, and that walk is something that is there's that creative time. It's that breath of fresh air. It gives them a time to kind of come back with fresh eyes yeah. and in a better place, you know, to kind of then deal with the things that they could be dealing with. And yeah, I think that's something. That, and restructure, right? Because there's things yeah. that's like, you know, I was the person that did that from the beginning. So like, I'm just going to keep doing it. Well, in the meantime, we've added 10 people to the staff and it's like, are you still the best person to go and do that? Like, go take a walk, go take a break go for take an extra 10 minutes at lunch or 10, 20 minutes at lunch or something. You know what I mean? Like there's better ways to spend that time. And then some people be like, Oh, well, you know, I love getting to go to the store. Cause I get to also do some of my shopping while I'm there too. It's like, okay, well then leave 15 minutes early or something. Or like I said, take a little longer lunch or something. Don't let somebody else do that. Right. Or order it online. You know, it's things like that, that just, you're trying to find those, not just inefficiencies. Cause that sounds so cold. And, and it's really, again, it's about people. It's trying to find like the best way to fit people into the puzzle. I went to one of our somewhat competitors companies where they made their own brake shoes and we or relined their own brake shoes. And we obviously did that too, but we were open to the idea of maybe stopping our brake line production and just having them because they had, when I went there, their assembly line was like, it was to a T. They had like seven people working on the line. And I asked them, I said, so these guys, do they swap positions? Like, do they move around? in the position. He's like, no, he's like, they get really protective about the jobs that they do. And they want us to stay where they're at on the line. They don't want to move to another position on the line. And I was like, well, I mean, I, I get that. As long as everybody understands what each other's jobs are, like every once in a while, it wouldn't hurt to like have them move around. Cause at least then they, you know, when somebody's sick, they can kind of fill in a little bit Cover. there. Yeah. Yeah, at the very least, you know, people get very protective about the whole, like there's a book like Who Moved My Cheese or whatever. And it's true. I mean, like I said, we did with the inventory. So sometimes people get protective about those types of tasks. And it's just sometimes it's not worth it, you know, but sometimes it is. It just depends. It depends on what where you're at in the company and, and what you feel, you know, is right. So how do you feel then with the processes and how you build them in and how you build in these, looking at the people in the business, you sort of developing that culture? inside the business. How does that fit in with the brand of the business? How do the processes help to then build the brand? From the internal culture, those processes help to develop that brand that then reaches the customer. Like you gave that example earlier on about the cheeseburger and stuff like that product that is the same every single time with those processes is then obviously developing that brand and, and taking it forward. It depends on what the company actually does, right? Like 
restaurants, they're in the business of being consistent, right? Yep. Like that's the goal. It's like, how do we get the consistent product? It doesn't have to be the best product. It just has to be consistent and the best product. And you're going to pay for that product. So really it's about the people and what the business actually does and what it's capable of. Cause sometimes what I've found is like, you're able to really like turn the business on its head, depending on where it's at in its life cycle, whether it's in a growth or whether, you know, it's kind of in a downturn, it just depends, right? So trying to change too much at once, obviously is a problem. I've lived it. I've wrote about it in my book, sales won't save your business where I tried to change the inventory system and it was not a very welcome. Some people welcomed it. It's also, it's funny, like I'm real big in the proponent of ownership of the process and getting people's input. So it's not just about like, oh, me come in and like, hey, like this should be like this and this should be like that. But like actually listening to the people that work there, right? Because they're the ones that are ultimately working in it every single day. Now, that doesn't mean that you should take, you know, like, oh, well, People really like this, you know, quote unquote, stupid way of doing this or really slow way of doing it. And there's no reason to change that other than to make more money. It's like, well, but talking to the people, you'll find like where their issues lie, like where are they having the biggest slowdowns, the biggest problems? And then it's like, okay, well, if we just take this and we move it over there and we move this over here and we, you know, talk out the reasons that it can be that way or could be that way you know, ideas, brainstorming, right? It isn't all going to happen like that. Even just implementing new things all together. So like, like one example, like if you had the surveys, right? Like, okay, so who's going to give the surveys out? Who's going to collect the surveys or where are they going to be collected? Who's going to take those surveys? And then who's actually going to look through those surveys and start aggregating that data together, right? Like you just created a whole nother, not a position, but a whole nother job for somebody else excuse me, to do. And maybe in the beginning, you only get five of them back or six of them back. And it's a slow burn. But as people get used to the idea of like coming in, we get a survey or we're ready, and ready to leave. We fill out the survey. Like that's where, you know, over time, like the education process will kick in. Right. And then it's like, okay, well now we got to get these surveys into, like I said, an aggregate and figure out what we can learn from them and whether or not we're even asking the right questions in the first place. Like, yeah. did you like the food? Yes. No, maybe scale of one to 10. So it's, it's things like that. So it's like going through talking to the people, figuring out what the culture is, what kind of people they have working there, right? Blue collar, white collar, purple collar, whatever collar, color collar they want. That's a, that's a tongue twister, whatever they, whatever collar they want, what the process that they're going through, what their struggles are, understanding those people, making them feel like they're listened to and taken care of because the team is so vital to getting to where you want to be. You know, you can't say, oh, well, screw it, F it, I'll just fire everybody. I've been there, I've lived that too. It's not, it's not a great way to be. It's not even an intelligent way to be, in my opinion, because you're shortchanging all the training, all the things that you've put into those people, the time you put into those people. And like, at the end of the day, like, you know, a lot of people could just go get a job somewhere else, right? Like this isn't the mining town where you're the mining company and you pay them in mining dollars and, and like, Oh, great. Well, we don't make mining dollars. Well, I guess we got to move. Like we got to go somewhere else. It's one of those things where it's like, you just have to think about like from the people perspective as much as possible and then figure out the game plan to bring them to where you want them to be, especially the longer they've been there, right? The less time they've been there, the easier it is to be like, well, I haven't invested that much in you. Sorry, this didn't work out. Right. But like where I came from, you know, a lot of the guys and ladies had worked there as long as I had been alive. So <laughs> You know, 20 plus years, it's like, all right, well, it's tough to sometimes hear these changes and bring things 
along and they don't always want to hear it. But you got to figure out, find the right balance. And hopefully you're not in a, a position where it's like, if we don't hit the pedal to the metal, we might not be here in a year. And sadly, you know, especially here in the States, I'm not sure over in the UK, like that's been the case for the last six months, you know, since this whole virus thing started, you know, a lot of businesses have closed and are on the verge of closing. And big companies are like, we can't keep furloughing people and paying their insurance. Like it just doesn't work. I mean, Disney laid off 28,000 people in a day. Like, and I know personally at least three or four, four of those, yeah, at least four of those people that were laid off, right? And nobody was protected. I mean, there's people in all over in the all their sections of the company like that got laid off. So sometimes drastic changes are there. When we were, you know, at six million dollars in inventory, we were not in a great place. <laughs> you know, we had survived through 2008, 2009, and then we had Sandy hit, and it just was like we weren't in a great place. We had way too much inventory on hand because my the way my grandfather worked things was like if I buy this cup for a dollar. And it sits on my shelf for two years. Well, the price of buying a cup today is now $1.50. I bought it at a dollar, but I marked it up from the $1.50. I'm making more money. It's great. The way I see things is that everything has to pay rent, right? Everything pays rent. So it pays rent in necessity or pleasure. So if you have a whole bunch of these cups sitting on your shelf and you're like, well, someday they'll sell. They'll just, you know, it might take a couple of years. It's like, well, all that space that these cups took up, yeah. you know, it takes up square footage. Square footage costs money in the real world, right? If Whether it's in taxes or in mortgage or in rent, that's the rent that it needs to be paying. So if it's not paying its rent, it's got to get off my shelf and I got to get more of the things, you know, these sunglasses that are going to pay the rent, right? I have more space for these because we are constantly selling out of these. So I got to be able to buy more of these, less of those cups, get them off my shelf, get them out of here say open up more space because it's not paying its rent yeah and that's that data you're talking about so you have to have the data don't you to know what is what is working what isn't and like that system that you put together where it showed which which stores are selling and things that's kind of that data that you need to have in order to yep. see what's working and what isn't so what do you see in terms of on the horizon in terms of trends in terms of things that are coming down the pipeline potentially in your industry in this field what are some of the things that you're seeing at the moment that's kind of coming in in the business consulting world yeah, business consulting or, okay. and, and systems and podcasting. Yeah, just what sort of things are you seeing on the horizon that are making a difference? Maybe from a technological point of view, you mentioned technology and sort of how it speeds up things. I mean, things like I use Zapier for different bits and bobs, and that's kind of something that can, can help. Yeah, so stuff like yeah. that. There are things like that, Zapier, like I said, integrating technology, you know, saying that you're not, I'm not a computer guy or girl is not going to get it done, right? Like that's, yeah. You know, it might be okay for you as, as a solopreneur, like getting, you know, a handful of customers a year, but really it's holding you back, you know, whether or not you want to create courses for your industry or create, you know, like we have the IndiePod University, like there's things like that that's like, if you really want to get people to have access to resources, like you have to know how to do it. And if you really do the Google searches, you'll find that there's sometimes way cheaper ways to, to provide that than in some like I forget one of the examples somebody was talking about was like $250 a month for a membership site to be able to host their membership site. So it's like, wow, like that's a huge cost. Like you better have quite a few members on board to do that. And it's not that you can't, it's just you got to have, you gotta be serving the right community, right? The right group of people that aren't afraid to pay a certain amount of money to make it worth doing all that stuff, plus the time you actually putting in the work to create that content. 
I think one of the other big things that's coming down the pike here is figuring out who actually stood up and was a leader during COVID and who wasn't. You know, it's one of the reasons why I took such a strong stance so quickly with the Indie Pod was like, hey, like I really want to show up and, you know, be there for that community. So I invested a significant amount of time into that and continuing to invest a lot of time into that. And now that we're moving further and further away from the beginning of the chaos, even though we might be moving into a second wave here in the States, even though the first wave never really ended, I think that showing up as a leader there, I mean, it's one of the things that I plan on doing now that we're six months removed is really going back in and creating more content and really starting to try to establish like, okay, who's doing well during this whole COVID thing, right? Like who can I work with that actually isn't panicked and is maybe not thriving in the sense of like, hey, we're, you know, it's raining over here, you know, we're making it rain over here, but the sense of like, hey, we're established and we're not going anywhere and we want to figure out like, what's the next step, right? We're not just trying to survive now at this point. We're trying to figure out like, how are we gonna come out of this even stronger, you know, with more sales and, and all that. And not look back at 2020 in, in a sense of like, oh no, we barely got out. Hopefully 2021 isn't worse. But in the sense of like, okay, you know, okay, there was a problem during, you know, 2020, but towards the second half to the third quarter, we really were able to turn it around and adjust and bring the business to the next level through all this. Yeah. So there's a few people we've been talking to where they've taken this time almost to take a, a pause and look at their strategy, look at their, the way that they're performing and how they're doing stuff. So things like you're talking about, they're looking to adjust those processes and make things a bit more streamlined. And yeah, I think it's been a time for a lot of businesses to sort of reflect and pause and have a look at what they're going to do, how they're going to move forward, some of the things they can put in place in terms of their short-term and long-term strategy over the next year or so. Now, I think definitely what you bring to the table with the systems and the processes and the business coaching is going to be really sort of valuable to most businesses, especially at this time. You know, it's really, really important. So um, it's been great having you on. It's been really good. I've really enjoyed it. And I was just going to say, thank you so much for coming on. It's been brilliant. And where's a good place for people to find you? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Chris. It's been awesome. It's been great talking. And uh, I love this longer form show. Like, I don't know if it's already shows this long. Oh, <laughs> uh, It varies, varies difference. So yeah, some, some are longer, some are shorter, but it's, it's all good. 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 They should, because it's your show and it should be as long as it's interesting. And as long as, you know, are wanting to be like, you know, limiting your show is like a TV kind of thing to do or a radio kind of thing to do, right? The podcasting, let it breathe, let it be as long as it needs to be. So yeah, no, but thank you again so much for having me on. If you want to get more about me, if you want to learn how you can work with me, go over to superjoepardo.com. If you're interested in podcasting, live streaming, go over to indiepodcasters.com. That's I-N-D-I-E podcasters.com. And I'm posting there at least two to three times a week. So there's always something, generally something new going on over at the site. We have our next event coming up October 24th. And we'll look forward to more events. Probably once a month, we'll go forward instead of every two weeks. Because that was that was a bit tough, especially with the family and like so many nice Saturdays. But I was home every day, so it didn't really make that big of a difference. But it was a lot of nice Saturdays that were, <laughs> that were spent inside doing the conference. So we'll probably move to every once a month, uh, especially over the course of the holidays. And then if you're interested in the TV show, I actually filmed a pilot episode of my TV show last year. We were supposed to film two episodes back in March, but well, March happened. <laughs> you know, 2020 kicked in the full gear. Yeah. 
So we didn't get to do that, but it's called the Top of Super Joe Pardo. It's going to be rebranded to the Small Business Rescue. But if you go to superjoepardo.com slash TV, you can 